Welcome to This Week in VO with J. Michael Collins. Each week, JMC will host one of the voiceover industry's most interesting personalities for a casual freestyle chat that encompasses more than just business, digging deep into the guest's backstory and pulling back the curtain on how they became the person they are today. And now for this week's guest, Andy Field. Hey everybody, it's Jay Michael. I'm back for episode 10 of This Week in VO, and uh, I've got a great guest this week. Uh, he's got a guy who's got some re- really, really cool credits. I think a lot of you know him uh, as Hand Unit from Five Nights at Freddy's, uh, but I, I'm looking at his IMDb here, and Andy Field has been in Avengers Endgame, the video game, uh, actually on camera, The Walking Dead, uh, Game Theory. Um, he's a two-time Voice Arts Awards nominee, and he's He's got a really cool background as I go through the pre-research that Kayla always does. Um, Andy was a teacher, uh, taught math, science, and STEM. Uh, He was previously an EMT and an infantry officer in the U.S. Army Reserve for decades, including, and we're going to have to hear this story, a time when he drove $480 million in cash down a Middle Eastern highway, which is just a little bit less than Joe Cipriano made last week. Uh, But in any case, Andy Field, welcome, and first of all, man, thank you for your service. Thank you for being here. All right. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, pleasure's all mine, man. And, and I see you're from Nacogdoches, Louisiana. Now, when I was a, a kid, there was there's a college there, isn't there? Because I remember making a trip to Nacogdoches to visit a school when I was looking for colleges. What's, what's over there? You're so close. So the name of my town is Nacogdoches, Louisiana, and it's spelled very similar to Nacogdoches. Ah. They're only 100 miles apart, and they're actually sister cities with, with names from the same Indian tribe. But yes, in this little town is Northwestern State University of Louisiana, which is where I got my bachelor's degree, where, where my whole family, everybody I'm related to got their bachelor's degree at this little school. Uh, but he, let me give you some interesting trivia. So in Natchitoches, Louisiana is Northwestern State University. And in Nacogdoches, Texas, 100 miles away is Stephen F. Austin University. That's it. That's what. That's where we went. Yeah. Lumberton. So these two schools compete in the Sunland Conference of Football for the largest trophy in college football there's an eight foot tall wooden indian named chief caddo that sits in the student union of whoever won last year's football <laughs> game each year i don't know how much it weighs but you know they've got to move it in a truck it's massive but wow uh so kind of cool in these two little towns but uh i just drove the nacogdoches last weekend we had a sale on the trail 100 miles of garage sales it was crazy oh, cool well i mean I, I knew it rang a bell I, I got it completely wrong but i knew <laughs> Knew it rang a bell. It was... Oh yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty common. But yeah, na- but my town's much more interesting than Nacogdoches. So. So, so I mean, is it like Lu- Bayou, Bayou, Louisiana, or is it uh, what what is it like? And you know, how we're did, up how did you north pronounce it? Nacogdoches. It's it's totally Nacogdoches. not how it's spelled. But we're up in North Louisiana, which is uh kind of just like the rest of the South. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, there are bayous and those kind of. I live on a beautiful lake, which is shaped like a river, and there's an alligator that lives right, right across. <laughs> He lives right across from me over in the sycamore tree, and uh, but uh, it's, it's kind of neat. Um, you know, he doesn't ever come up and bother anybody, but uh, so I, you know, it is kind of Louisiana ish, I guess, to say I have an alligator that you know sits outside my house sometimes, but uh, uh, but you know, not down south where all the Cajuns are and the accordion music and the you know, and gators all over the place yeah, and know. stuff like that, kind of like you, Texas, just like North Texas. You can you can eat gator, right. Uh, you can. I, I have on occasion, you know, there's restaurants that sell it or, uh, you know, you know, fancy weddings where they have caviar and stuff will have gator and stuff. But I, I think you can. I, I don't 
I, I don't know if there's a restaurant anywhere near me that serves it. You know, not, so certainly not that I know of. It's more it's more refined than it's not like possum. No, no, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and you know, possum. I don't know. If, I think you just pick a possum up off the side of the road and eat it. But I think an alligator. There's only so many gator hunting licenses every mm-hmm. year. Yeah, you, uh, you actually got to do a little work to get the gator, right? And AI, uh, and I think they're giving out more licenses now because they're really starting to explode their population. <laughs> well, talk, talk to us a little bit about your background. You went from infantry officer to EMT to math and science teacher. Now you're doing VO. Yeah. What, what was that road like? How did you get I've, here? I've done so much stuff. So, yeah, so uh, I joined the National Guard right out of high school and, and switched. To the National Guard and Army Reserve both were kind of the whole thing. Uh, just submitted my retirement request the other day, 32 years now. So, wow. Uh, and so, Congratulations. Um, thanks. I'm, I'm pretty excited. It's, it's been such a part of my life for so long, even as a part-time job, which the army reserve is, is part-time, uh, after 32 years of part-time service, I've worn the uniform for about 12 of them. Wow, so it's, boy. it's, it's a heck of a part-time job. But after high school, I did all kinds of stuff. I was a medic, I was an EMT and then I became a teacher and I was a teacher forever. And you know, all these other jobs have kind of been in there. Well, you know, when you're a teacher, you're, you're pretty poor comparatively speaking to other college graduates. And um, so at one point I had four jobs. I was a teacher. I was in the army reserve. I, uh, I was driving for Uber and my wife and I owned a tutoring business. We had like 45 students coming through our tutoring business every week. And uh, it was killing her. She was like a, a professional bill collector basically is what she was just always calling the parents why you know, you need to pay. You need... And uh, it was killing us for two hours of work every day. And she was working, you know, eight or nine every day. Right. And so uh, one day I was standing in the kitchen. This was around 2013, I think. And I was just playing around and I was imitating our football announcer. We were living in Mississippi. This is the, the University of Mississippi football announcer. And I was like, that's another first down. And she was, uh, she said, oh, my gosh, you should be an announcer guy. And I thought, well, that's a good side hustle. I've, I've you know, I've always wanted, I didn't know anything. You know, I was like, I, I, I could do radio commercials. I, I didn't know what voiceover even was. That's what immediately my mind went to was like commercials on the radio mm-hmm. or announcing things. And so I went to Google. That's when people always, you know, the number one question people ask you about voiceover is how'd you get started? And uh, the answer is like, the way you get started in anything else these days. I went to Google <laughs> and um, and I Googled, you know, how do you be an announcer guy? And, you know, I think I knew the word voiceover artist. And so I started Googling all that. And, and, and by 2013, the consensus was, yeah, you can do this stuff online. I mean, you're not right. going to be a Disney villain from Mississippi, probably. But, uh, you know, you could certainly do commercials and e-learning narrations and corporate narrations and a ton of other things and, and animations and video games and stuff from wherever you are. You just need to get started. And so that's what I tell a lot of people. The secret to getting started is getting started. Right. Showing up is half the battle, right? <laughs> it's so much half the battle in, in so many things. In marriage, mm-hmm. <laughs> in work, and <laughs> everything. Just be there. You know, it's, you know, that's, you're so right. That's exactly it. So I got started, and uh, that was late 2013. I had no idea even then what I was doing, man. I had a... Uh, uh, a sure SM57 microphone from when I uh, sang in a rock band in college that was 20 years old and a big Radio Shack mic stand and uh, bought an interface to plug into my work computer. Didn't even know for a month that that interface wasn't compatible with my computer. And I was actually recording in the built-in microphone. Uh, I had no idea. You know, I sounded like I was recording in a tin can. I had no clue. 
And uh, it took me several months to kind of iron all that out of just hustle and reading and studying and asking people things. And finally, I booked a job, my first job. I, I, I made $90 total to uh, be the zombie voices in the video game Contagion. Oh, cool. And, uh, so there I was going, you know, and all this stuff. You know, hey, I recognize you. Straight out of Walking Dead. My <laughs> wife my wife was in the other room on the other side of the wall. You know, it was late at night because I was a teacher and I was having to work at night. And she was like, I'm scared. Can you come in here and comfort me for a minute? Because <laughs> you know, we, were, we were big at The Walking Dead, the TV show at that time. That's, that is the only show I have ever stopped watching because it gave me nightmares. Literally, I was going and living in that world every night. And I just after about three seasons, I was like, I, I can't do this anymore. I'm not getting sleep. <laughs> I tell you what, it does it does get to you. You know, if you have to step outside your house at night for something, you know. <laughs> but uh, I quit watching it just because they jumped the shark so many times on the show. But it's funny because by the time I, f- I was an extra in two episodes in season eight, and I didn't even watch the entirety of either of the episodes I was in <laughs> by that point. Uh, but it was really fun to be on. Were you, a, were you a zombie? Uh, I was a, a savior. I was on. Ah. Uh, I don't know if you by season three you got to the saviors, but uh, yeah, I don't uh, think so. Uh, the, the great villain Negan. Uh, I was on Simon's team in the saviors, though, so we'd all joke about which one of us Simon liked best and all that. So it was <laughs> very cool. <clears throat> what, what was that experience like? Oh, it was kind of cool. You know, when I first started this voiceover thing. I, you know, you, you don't know one from the other. You're just throwing a lot of stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. And you don't, you know, I, I and so I, I enrolled in all these casting agencies. And um, so I lived in North Mississippi at the time. And I got a call from a casting agency in New Orleans that said, hey, we need you to come down and be a, a, a special agent on NCIS New Orleans. And I was like, baby, this is it. I've made it. I'm mm-hmm. big time. You know, here I am, Hollywood. You know, I didn't know what being an extra was like. And I go down there. Uh, you make like a hundred dollars a day to be a right. extra, and I had to, you know, pay for a place to stay. As you know, so I I spent the entire three hundred dollars I made in three days on NCS New Orleans, and I said this, this was great. The food was great. Uh, the caterers uh, were great, but uh, uh, it was hot. It was July. I was out there on the banks of the Mississippi River in a in a law enforcement windbreaker, mm-hmm. and I was just like, this sucks. Uh, I will never <laughs> be an extra again. Uh, and then um. I met a guy at a comic con. I was at a comic con for my, my video game work for five nights at Freddy's. And this guy was a, a, a savior on walking days. Like, dude, you could totally, they film it in Atlanta. I was like, no way that's in Atlanta. I'm going. So I, that was more, I don't need the money to be an extra. I just right. am a fan and I want to be on it. Um, and then while I was there, found out that Marvel films in Atlanta too. That's how I ended up on uh, Avengers in game, the movie. Very cool. Uh, I was soldier number 258, I think. <laughs> I remember him. <laughs> Where would soldier 259 be without me, right? Right, so, right. So, yeah, that was awesome just to be part of the biggest movie in history. That was that was. <laughs> well, and so, but, so back, backing up to how you walked through, walked into the voiceover world. So you said you, your first job was 90 bucks. You found, you know, this thing. Um, but w- w- what did you do to kind of get where you are now where it's starting to come together for you? Uh, okay. Well, and so, you know, after that little one, I was like, well, that's fine. But, you know, I can't. You know, $90 is not even a, a good side hustle. Um, but then, you know, I kept plugging away and doing auditions and looking for stuff and self-marketing. And next thing you know, this guy hired me for $175. Uh, and that was to narrate a 17-minute long narration on how to fill out IRS form I-9. And I'll tell you, it was spellbinding. <laughs> it was riveting. Um, but I thought to myself, now $175 as a school teacher. You know, that's a bill that wasn't getting yeah. paid. 
that's okay. This, you know, if I could get that once a month, man, that's a side hustle. Now we're talking, um, you know, that's a couple of days of Uber. So, uh, and he hired me several more times and I had been reading, you know, repeat customers are, are, are bread and butter. And man, I was like, okay. And then I was picking up a couple more and a couple more and a couple more. And then I made a crappy homemade demo and sent it out to agents because I was stupid. And if I, but then finally one little, you know, not big agent picked me up. And before I even got a good demo made, I booked a pretty good job to that agent. Nice. Uh, I booked a $7,000 job in my first year in voiceover. And it nice. took many more years before I ever got one that big again. I just, <laughs> I just thought that was the standard. Thought that was going to be what I got. This, this is life. how I live now. Yeah, I just, yeah, I'm seven thousand dollars a month from now on. Um, and so, uh, and it wasn't even anything big. No one's. It, it was a Blue Cross Blue Shield regional commercial for like mm. three days. Uh, I think it was so big because there were like four pages of tags. Mm. Uh, just phone number after phone number. There was, there must've been 150 different phone numbers for that. That's always mind numbing fun. It, it was even the producer said, you know, what? we're going to go ahead and log out now and just, <laughs> <laughs> you know, once, but it, it was so, I felt so big time because, um, well, they wanted ISDN. And back then I had no idea how to get ISDN or how to bridge into it or what the, all I knew was that it was big. And so I had to, I took a day off of school or a half day, and I drove to Memphis, Tennessee, to an ISDN studio that I now know has a terrible ISDN. <laughs> uh, and it was Ardent Studios, where like Leonard Skinner and Led Zeppelin recorded their live albums back oh, in the seventies. Wow. Memphis is a great music town, and uh, I mean, and there was only one room big enough for a band, and I was in the isolation booth on the side of that room. So I'm like, this is the room where the lead singers were, man. I'm right here, man. You know, I was like rubbing my hand on the wall. This is where, <laughs> you know, where they sweat, right? You know so cool and i was like i'm big time uh but it took again years to book that but just slowly but surely year after year after year i started booking more and more and more and getting more and more repeat clients and then it got to be where i was thinking how much more could i do if i had 40 more hours a week free right. you know this teaching job is starting to get in the way of my voiceover side hustle and uh and for several years i said this is my last year teaching and then finally, one year, I said, this has got to be. I, I, it's to the point where I hate teaching. I don't hate teaching. I love teaching. I hate the vocation of education, the whole bureaucracy of it. And, uh, you know, the students were great. My subject matter was great. That was the best part of the day. Having a 20-minute lunch was not great. You know, <laughs> not being able to go to the bathroom when I wanted to was not great. You know, having a, a, a boss who had different ideas about, education was not great. Right. And so finally, um, I hired a manager and I said, you got to help me fire my boss. You've got to help me <laughs> get out of this. <laughs> and so she said, you know, okay, so when, when do you need to do this? And I said, well, as a teacher, it's really bad form to, uh, to make a phone call the day before school starts in August and say, I'm not coming in tomorrow. <laughs> so maybe April, she said, right. okay, this is January. So I paid her and we had a monthly, a weekly phone call every week. And she gave me homework goals. And, so, you know, today, you know, this week, your homework is make a list of the stuff that has to happen for you to be ready for full-time voiceover. You know, and, you know, the next week we call and she said, okay, now, you know, what has to happen now? And what are you doing? And now reach out and do this. And, you know, so I did everything she told me. And pretty soon I said, okay, I think I could quit this job. Wow. And so in April, ooh, it was nerve wracking, but I went into the principal's office and I said, I'm not coming back, you know, hire somebody to replace me. 
And that's, uh, that's a big leap, isn't it? Oh, it was terrifying. It's so liberating and so terrifying. Uh, because I wasn't exceeding my income as a teacher with voiceover at that point. Uh, they were maybe close to the same. Mm-hmm. The problem was I wasn't making a solid living as a teacher before voiceover. <laughs> you know, I wasn't really paying all the bills on time every month at that point. So all of us, you know, and I was, and, and here's what's, what's the travesty. After 17 years and a master's degree as a teacher, I had made in, in the highest paid district in the half of my state, I had made my way all the way up to $51,000 a year. Uh, yes, yeah, I'm te- right. Te- teachers get the short end of the strict stick, don't they? Yeah, yeah. And it's, and you know, it's, they deserve more, not because they're having to put up with our kids. And I love middle schoolers. I love teenagers. They're, they're some of the most remarkable people. They're, they're very special adolescents. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I particularly, that was my favorite age group. They're so fun to be around. Uh, so, you know, teachers don't deserve more money for that. They deserve more money because I know they only work nine, 10 months out of the year. Those nine or 10 months, there is not a free moment. You know, in, in most jobs where you're an employee, there's a time to, you could go to the bathroom. There's a, mm-hmm. there's a time where you could pick up your phone and call the bank. There's a time where maybe you can just sit back from your desk and think about where you might go on vacation. Right, you know, right. they, or maybe you could sit back and think about your finances and maybe how you want to invest. There's no stopping to, if you're a good teacher, ever, all 50 minutes that those kids are in your room are theirs, uh, or they should be. That's, that's, you know, if you're focused, you, you know, you can't sit back at your desk with a newspaper and say, here's a, here's a crossword puzzle, which is what my teachers did. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> you know, you're only working nine or 10 months out of the year, but the, the concentration work. of work, the density of work in, in that nine or 10 months is, you know, like, the, what, the, what, the, it, what, what does it say about society that, I mean, you can make $20 million a year for bouncing a basketball, but we treat our teachers like they're right? second class citizens. Right. I know. It's just, uh, it's just crazy, but, um, just insane. And, uh, just, it was just was so demanding. You don't realize it until you leave it. And then you're like, Oh my gosh, how could I ever go back? I mean, I remember shoving food down my face in a 20 minute lunch. I'm not lying to you. We had a 20 minute lunch and I'm supposed to be in the cafeteria with my kids, but I've had to step outside to make a phone call to the bank on my cell phone. Thank, thank goodness for cell phones back Mm -hmm. in the early days of teaching, you know, you'd had to go to the teacher's lounge and use the landline phone. You know, it was just, you know, I think one year I was lucky and I, uh, I was next to the teacher's lounge and I split the phone line and ran one over the ceiling tiles into my room. So I had a phone, <laughs> but it's still it was sharing that sometimes I'd pick it up and there'd be a teacher on it. So just, just did, did you ever, did you ever have a panic moment where you went, Oh, I'm not sure I should have done this. Yeah. So, you know, the, so I quit in April and then you get paid all the way through the summer because they've been taken out of your check all year long to pay you for 12, you know, you mm-hmm. get paid for 12 months, but you really only get paid for nine and they just pay you less so that they could pay you in the summer. So at the end of that summer, I was like, Oh my gosh, next month, I'm not getting that free paycheck. And, uh, I was like, well, you know, what have I done? What if I lose a client? So, you know, I was still, still on the rolls as an Uber driver. And I was still, I got on the rolls as a substitute teacher because we paid substitute teachers $90 a day in my district. (laughs) And I, and I was like, just in case, man, just in case if I've got to go sub for $90. And, uh, I'm, I'm happy to say that in that first year, 
I never once logged into that Uber app and I never once went in the sub as a nice. substitute teacher. It was fantastic. I still had to pinch a few pennies, you know, but, uh, but that, that voiceover income got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And then, you, you know, I had a, I had one good repeat client who kind of was part of my decision to quit teaching anyway. I was like, well, I have this client and I have this and I have this. And that client was growing and we were growing together, which is a wonderful, wonderful feeling to watch a company do well um, and know that they're doing well in part because of your contributions. Right. Um, and they just, and the, and so their workload increased and increased. And, uh, and so that, that was a blessing and that, you know, allowed me to spend more time marketing and, you know, it's, it's, it's true that work begets work and money begets money. And, and, and so it just has gotten to be where I'm comfortable with this. Maybe too comfortable. Maybe I need to get a little more aggressive today. But uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. I, after 25 years, I still wake up every morning and go, okay, is this going to be there tomorrow? Yeah. Right. It's like it's a, is, this, is this really real? It can it, 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 <laughs> and it, it keeps the fire burning. I think a little bit. I think so. I think a little bit of terror is a healthy thing, right? <laughs> uh, you know, and and now that I'm a, a, a bit older, you know, and I, I just retired from the Army Reserve. Or actually, I'm not quite, but will be soon. Uh, you know, I can kind of see a ten-year plan. How maybe if voiceover does well enough, you know, I've already got a retirement in place, but maybe. Mm -hmm. Maybe in 10 years, I won't even do voiceover. I like right. it. You know, I'll do it as long as people ask me to do it, I think. But uh, I, I think that the hustle may not have to be there. Maybe yeah. I can just, you know, take a break from drinking out of a coconut shell on the <laughs> beach, go in and record a couple narrations, and then go back out and, you know, go fishing. I am right there with you, brother. That's, no? that's That sounds like the right end game. Well, let's, you, you, you mentioned, you mentioned your, you know, your upcoming retirement. Let's talk about that for a second. Back to, <laughs> back to your service. Obviously you were deployed overseas at various times. Where did you serve? Uh, I've been to Kuwait and Iraq and Afghanistan. And, um, then like most recently, uh, they sent me out to Fort Bliss, Texas for a, a good bit of time for, so, for quite a few months of active duty, uh, which was remarkable that was like being deployed mm -hmm. el paso texas is not like anywhere else in the united <laughs> states I've ever been well it's it's the largest bilingual binational com community in the hemisphere right. there's there's two million people that share an international border right there uh 80 of el paso is bilingual is is right. this spanish speaking and so uh i got the army to pay for spanish lessons so i'm, I'm pretty proficient in spanish now and you know and made a lot of friends and you know is it was kind of always a, a life goal to learn another language and use it, right. you know, not, not just take French in high school and then never use it, but, uh, but to learn a language and then find people who spoke it and, and speak it with them and have entire conversations. And it's pretty remarkable. It's pretty eye-opening. Um, culture is, is, is an amazing thing, as you know, living in somewhere mm -hmm. besides the United States and, and having been other places, but people are amazing everywhere you go. And culture is amazing. Um, but it kind of helps. Uh, there's kind of a natural arrogance that we Americans have. We don't mean to, uh, but we live in a country that's just so gargantuan. Right. You can literally drive days staying in hotels every night. And when you get out of your car at the end of that trip, buy the same food in the same restaurant with the right. same currency in the same dialect that you did <laughs> at your origin. Um, and so, 
it's it's not that we're arrogant. We just don't know things, and 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 really can't be expected to know a lot of things. So it was really an eye opening cultural thing, remarkable to kind of learn about the world that way. And uh, I'm so angry at our educational system for not teaching us languages mm. better than we do. I'm so much smarter you know, at age 48 for having taken Spanish lessons. Right. Uh, it just makes your brain work differently. You and I uh, start by paying more than 51 grand a year to an experienced teacher, right? Yeah. 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 That would be it. But, but I, I learned from, I, you know, like you, I have a lot of international clients and I, I learned from them. I, I asked, a, a, we're, I'm totally rambling here, but I, I, I asked a, um, a Swede, I said, how is your English so good? I mean, she had better vocabulary than most Americans I knew mm-hmm. in English. And she says, well, we start English in kindergarten. Right. So by, you know, when we graduate high school, we've had 12, 13 years of English. And I'm like, oh, wow. In America, you know, the most educated of our students maybe took two to four years. Yeah. She says, no, we start our third language in high school. She says, so my German's not nearly as good as my English in Sweden. <laughs> it, it's, it is wild. I mean, I had a three-year-old in, in the local preschool here. And I mean, at three, he was speaking German, French, English, and the local patois. Uh, and, you know, and he's, even though he's in an English speaking school now, he's retained quite a lot of it. And uh, you know, I joke that his French is almost as good as mine. And I think I, I speak it all right, but <laughs> he's going to, wow. he's going to grow up thinking his parents are idiots because we're both just bilingual. Yeah, that's incredible. It's, and it's, and again, I just, even if you never really use it, there's there's a there's a there's something that unlocks in your brain uh from having learned another language uh and and yeah. something else that unlocks when you get to experience other cultures you know when you when you meet middle easterners and you meet europeans and you meet south americans and you it's everybody's got a different way of looking at the world yep. and, and and what's this business about you driving 480 million dollars in cash down oh yeah on highway so interestingly although i was an infantry officer on my first deployment uh Somehow in my, my weird career, I ended up commanding uh, headquarters of a finance company. Um, I, had a fi- I had the finance general in my company uh, that was in charge of all finance for the whole Operation Iraqi Freedom. Uh, I was just the captain kind of in charge of all the soldiers in this company. But mm-hmm. as a result, I was in charge of anytime vehicles were moving, anytime soldiers were moving, anytime any of our soldiers left the gate. That was kind of my business. And so... Um, one day I got a call from uh, the general and one of the colonels and they're like, Hey, Captain Field, we're going to, um, we're going to fly into Iraq tomorrow. And, uh, the third infantry division has confiscated $480 million of cash from one of Saddam's palaces. And we've got to take it here, count it, account for it and secure it. <laughs> like, okay. And so, um, it was in boxes of 4 million each, mostly U S dollars, some euros, mostly hundred dollar bills. Wow. Two of them were soaking wet because two uh, soldiers had uh, thrown them into the Euphrates River with plans to return after the war. <laughs> $4 million a box would be, definitely be worth the trip. Uh, so many stories of people trying to steal that. So anyway, we, you know, I, I organized the convoy, got soldiers together. We loaded up. We needed a... Um, we really didn't need a lot of vehicles because $100 bills don't take up nearly that much space. Uh, I had another trip later with, uh, with only $120 million, but it was in fives, tens, and twenties. Oh, it was that was in fives, tens, and twenties, so it took about fourteen trucks uh, to move all of that, uh, including I think thirty thousand dollars in quarters. Wow. Um, the marine, we don't think about money. The, the marines were paying their translators a quarter a day because in wow. post war post war Iraq, uh, the American dollar was worth a lot. I think the Iraqi dinar was worth like one four hundredth of a cent. Wow. 
wow. or something wow. like that. And so uh, they were paying interpreters a quarter a day and they would line them all up at the end of the day and just give them their, their, their quarter. Uh, and so, you know, and people were like, why don't you guys just give them $20 in advance? They're like, are you kidding me? You're going to give a guy named Ali in Iraq $20, like eight <laughs> months pay and say, here you go, come back tomorrow. And he's just going to go find another camp and see if he can get another $20. <laughs> right. And so, uh, so, um, so yeah, so we, we, we loaded up the convoy. We drove, you know, an hour or two to the airfield, flew to Iraq, met the provost marshal of the third infantry division who told us all kinds of stories of soldiers trying to steal this money. And then, uh, oh, wow. they, they loaded it all up with forklifts onto the aircraft. We flew back, you know, there were a lot of military police with gun trucks surrounding mm. these, uh, these, I mean, and they were just cargo trucks. Uh, they didn't even have roofs. We just wow. had all these, these, pall <laughs> these pallets loaded down with, uh, with, um, cellophane wrapped pallets of money. Uh, loaded in the back of these cars. If the Kuwaitis had only known, you know, as they were That's driving on the highway way. next to these trucks. Uh, oh, and then when we landed in Kuwait, um, we had another flight arriving at the same time with a plane full of uh, jewelry, like uh, mm. all kind of copper and gold jewelry that we'd confiscated from another palace. And so all that was in the same convoy. It was just insane. It was wow. just, uh, and then and then we spent, God, a better part of a week counting that money. We had soldiers who weren't allowed to wear clothes with pockets and they had we had to bring them food so they couldn't leave uh. and they had to we had to go downtown kuwait city and buy something like 20 of those uh bill cutting machines that the banks use mm -hmm. um just incredible and they would sit there all day just hundred thousand dollars hundred thousand dollars i mean just stacks and stacks and stacks of hundred thousand dollar bills of hundred thousand dollars worth of money wow God, it's, that's that's quite quite a quite a come down for Saddam to, you know, have not have his four hundred eighty million and wind up in a spider hole. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really was. It was you know in, incredible, um, and it kind of a, a an allegory for all of us. I think that mm -hmm. <laughs> it could all be over in an instant. You know, it could all, <laughs> you know, I I could be some bearded guy wandering around the continent, you know, Walking Dead style, next month. Who knows. Yeah, we'll see how your dictatorial aspirations turn out, but uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> it's always a possibility. Well, yeah. so, so I mean, you've got this cool background. You've done a lot of service-oriented things over the years. Has that been beneficial with regard to transitioning into voice acting? Have any of these skills transferred over to what you do now? Uh, cer certainly the work ethic from the military has, has transitioned over. Um, um, you know, and, and people have a, an idea of what they think the military is like, but really, I think it's just the uh, the professionalism of not letting someone else down is is kind of uh, a really valuable life skill, uh, and you know, that could come from another job too. It's just that the military um, was was part of that for so long, and, and teaching to some degree as well. You know, you, you have a job to do, and you have to do it, and you you don't want to have to go later and say I didn't do it. So that's been really valuable. Promptness has been really valuable. Um, but I think probably the biggest thing I've taken from the military is the tenacity, the stick-to-itiveness, mm -hmm. the hustle. Um, and, and I was talking, it's funny, I was having a conversation with my Spanish teacher um, a year or so ago, and it, I had just gotten to the point where I could kind of have a whole conversation in Spanish. And, and she was just kind of steering conversations to make me use verbs a certain way and things like that. And so she says in Spanish, what does it take to be a voice actor? And I said, you know, obviously uh, a decent voice is important. Obviously, you know, being able to act is important. But really, I think the number one thing is hustle. 
Uh, but in, I was having to use Google Translate because I didn't know the Spanish word for hustle. And um, Google Translate really doesn't do that word justice. <laughs> um, it's a special word that, that, you know, there's a, and so she, so then we got into a conversation about what does hustle, what is the word? Is it motivacion? Eh, motivation is part of hustle, but you could be motivated and not really have good hustle. <clears throat> and so I came up with the word empuje, which is just push. It's the word that's on doors in, in huh. Spanish doors. Empuje is push and highly is pull. Um, it's push. And she's like, is it empuje? And, and I was like, and I, and I said in Spanish, five years ago, I had five jobs. That's empuje. <laughs> one of those jobs was voiceover. And that one has been what's taken over all the others uh, over time until today. I only have two of those jobs left. And one of them I just requested to retire from. So, and I said, that's este es empuje. That is push. That is the, the hustle uh, and so for a while, I even printed out the word empuje and had it hanging here in my booth to remind me. Push, cool. push. Always. Very cool you know, story. You know, it's kind of like Dory from Finding Nemo. Just, just, <laughs> just keep swimming. Keep just swimming. Keep sw or like you said earlier, just show up, do something, do something. And it's the same in the military. It's, you know, when, when all is lost and it looks like you're failing, find another solution. Do mm -hmm. something. Do, you know, surrender is not a viable course of action in any sort of mission analysis we ever do in the military. We don't ever say, well, we could attack from the east. We could attack from the west. Or, sir, have you considered just surrendering? <laughs> uh, you know, well, you're, we, not, you're not French. We certainly, certainly, exactly. We certainly could just end the battle this way. You know, and, you know, it's, you know if, it, if, if you're analyzing ways to attack the enemy and your course of action doesn't end with high-fiving on the objective with a cigar... <laughs> then, uh, then that is not a viable solution. And uh, it's the same, you know, it's the same with voiceover. It's, you know, if you're not doing something that ends in getting paid by someone to use your voice, then what are you doing? Right. If that's not the end state, then, then what are you doing? Well, it's, you know, whenever I, I get new talent coming in and, you know, they talk about, well, what can I make? What is, you know, can I be successful? And it's all, I, I always tell them the story of, you know, there are people out there making half a million dollars a year that I've heard and worked with who are frankly mediocre, but they yep. work like donkeys. And, and then their talent who have more talent in their little finger than I have in my whole body who never got off the ground because I talked to them a year later and say, how many auditions did you do this month? And they say 10. Yeah. You know, you, it's showing up, man. That 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 is an empuje. I'm gonna. Yeah, I, I learned a new word today. I, uh, <laughs> tell us about. I, go ahead. Well, and I say that I teach a beginner voiceover class, and and it's it's all about the business. I don't even yet feel you know seven eight years into this thing feel like I'm an acting coach, but but we talk about how to get going, and it's just the stuff that I hustled through and found out on my own. And but it's but I tell the kids the number kids. Some of them are seventh graders and some of them are 60 years old it's, right. it's but, but the number one thing is hustle and i've got 110 120 alumni of this course now and i'd say 10 percent of them are making it in mm -hmm. voice after a year or two and and you know i've had a student ask me well what's the what's the distinguishing factor why are they making it and no one else is and it's just 100 about the hustle yeah the ones who aren't just said oh this is a little too hard or or I'm going to keep doing uh, auditions for things on Twitter, but I can't afford a demo. So I'm, you know, the, the answer to, if you can't afford a demo is afford a demo, mm -hmm. 
figure it out. That's big, the, big borrow steel, right? No grass. Work at Sonic. Whatever you've got to do, you've, you know, if you don't have enough money, the, the answer is get more money. Right. <laughs> Which is right, a hard right. answer. <laughs> tell us about Five Nights at Freddy's. What was that? What was that experience? Man, I'm gonna tell you what. That's been really a. a it was kind of a life changer. Uh, it, it, I, I didn't get rich off it, but you know, I got the gig for that, and um, I didn't never even heard of it. Um, you know, but uh, because I was in my 40s and my kids were all a little bit older, and they're not gamers anyway, uh, I was still teaching. And uh, it was one of those slow days uh, where I did get to sit at my desk and I was looking at my email, not my school email, but my, my real email. And, uh, and my kids knew I was a voice actor. They had seen some corporate narration, the commercials that I'd been in and stuff like that. And they were like, oh, that's neat. Uh, and they, and they, they knew I'd been the zombies in the video game. That's neat. Um, and then I said, oh, hey, and this was a class with only like five kids in it. So we were kind of killing time. And I said, oh, hey, I got a, a voiceover job. And they're like, oh, cool. I said, oh, it's for a video game. And they're like, oh, that is cool. I said, does anybody want to hear, hear part of the script? You know, and so, you know, and I started reading it. And there were key words in that script that were evident that this was a Five <laughs> Nights at Freddy's game. And, and I didn't know that the fandom of Five Nights at Freddy's was just rapidly mm -hmm. waiting for the next game. They didn't even know it was coming out. And uh, as I read it, one of the kids' heads popped up like a jack-in-the-box <laughs> oh that's a five nights at freddy's game and i said i don't know what that means but i know enough to stop reading uh, <laughs> and so i emailed the guy and he said hey i just want to let you know that i'm a seventh, eighth grade teacher and i just let i just read part of this to some of my kids and he said uh okay so you can tell people you're in the next five nights at freddy's game but you can't tell them what you're playing anything to do with the script or anything like that i said oh okay cool so it was pretty cool to be announcing well beforehand that I was in the next Five Nights at Freddy's game. And the fans were finding things online and sending me messages and interviewing me. And it was just absolutely hilarious. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm showing up at Comic Cons. And um, so my character has this catchphrase, exotic butters. And uh, Funko made a plushy basket of exotic butters that people were buying and getting <laughs> autographed. It was the most surreal thing as a middle school teacher to be sitting at a comic con and see middle schoolers standing in line to get my autograph. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> well, for, like, for, you for, guys for, know I'm just a regular guy, right? <laughs> for those who don't know, tell, what is, tell us more about Five Nights at Freddy's for those who aren't familiar with it. Five Nights at Freddy's is this indie video game. It's a horror video game that has developed this absolutely uh, intense fandom um, of people who just love it. It, it, the first game was really just a really rudimentary game, just kind of a red light, green light kind of game. Um, but the, the creator is this brilliant guy, and he developed all this lore. There were little secret Easter eggs and scenes, and if you screenshot it and zoomed in, you could find newspaper headlines. Um, it's a very family-friendly game about a haunted pizzeria like Chuck E. Cheese where the animatronics are trying to kill you. And, uh, yeah, it's it's... It's really, but no violence to speak of, no, uh, no gore, no profanity, uh, uh, really just jump scares. And the jump scares are mm -hmm. what everybody likes to watch. Other, everybody likes to watch somebody else play the game because the jump scares are so funny. <laughs> um, and it's, it's the same formula of, of all those jump scare things that are online. They get you focused and concentrating so hard and you're just focused on something else and then they get you. And it's, you do something wrong and you die and the, and the monster gets you and you jump scare. Right. Um, but then the lore of there were headlines of uh, 
you know, kids being murdered in these, these pizzerias and things like that. And so all the fans are like, oh, my gosh, so the story. Next thing you know, there's this whole storyline developed on the history of these pizzerias and where they came from and why these things are haunted and all this stuff. So, uh, so I got to voice game five, which is the first game that, um, that really had voiceover in it. And then game six and then game seven and then game eight, which is a virtual reality game on the PlayStation. Uh, which this game was made for virtual reality. It is incredible. Um, I mean, you feel like you are in this place. Wow. You know? And virtual. And here's something I learned: virtual reality game designers have a whole different way of looking at developing games um, because they are having to figure out how to involve you physically. In it. Right. Um, so, for example, in this last game, you know, you're repairing an elevator shaft. And there's scary things in the elevator shaft that you really <laughs> would rather not deal with. And they do things like um, force you to look up, which mm. is a very vulnerable position that exposes your entire body, uh, forces you to lean into the elevator shaft to see things that are concealed otherwise by the sides of the doors, you know, things that physically make you move your body forward into danger. And it's just absolutely nerve wracking. It's just, <laughs> um, uh, where you have to keep your, you have a headlamp at one point. You have to keep your headlamp on things, but you also have to look to the left and to the right a lot. And so it's always, you know, you're, you're having to, you're just throwing your head all over the place and you're scared to death. And it's really uh, incredible. And I'm just the, uh, the humorous, uh, I'm the friendly voice. There's a good mm -hmm. bit of humor in this. Uh, so I'm kind of the, the comic relief through the game. It's one of those uh, dry computer voices that just says things matter of factly, like, um, you know, uh, what's one of the lines? It's like, um, we apologize for the cramped accommodations in the uh, in the staff elevator, but the comfort of the regular elevator is far above your pay grade, you know, and that kind of thing. And it's just, you know, one of the jokes throughout the whole game is that you're just a lowly employee that treats gets treated absolutely horribly. And, of course, right. you're in a job that, that kills you. You're, the, <laughs> you're, going, you're going to die in this job sooner or later. So it's – and the fans just absolutely love it. It's, it's, it's been really neat. That's awesome. And as the game has grown, again, another example of a, of a client growing and you getting to be part of that, uh, so many more voice actors have been brought into the fold. Uh, there was one game that had close to 50 voice actors in it at one point. And so now there's this whole family of Five Minutes at Freddy's voice actors. That, you know, we, we kind of talk and meet each other at Comic Cons and kind of, you know, comment on each other's social medias and stuff all the time. It's pretty mm. fun. Very cool, man. Very cool. Well, where do you see your, your career going from here? What's what's some bucket list stuff for you? Um, I'd like to... I haven't done any significant animation. I'd really... I'm, I'm kind of... I'd like to do more animation. That would be fun. Um, and it, that's the thing, is I'm comfortable enough financially now that I'm looking for things that are rewarding. You know, I'm, I'm looking right. for the intrinsic reward of this as opposed to the financial reward, which is the opposite. You know, a lot of actors come in because they like acting and then the money comes. I was coming in for the money and then I found out I had to be an actor. Uh, and now I will forevermore be becoming a better actor. I'm doing a lot of promo coaching. I was, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of gunning for some promo work. Mm -hmm. I'd like, um, I got to do a promo for history channel cool. uh, a while back and, uh, liked it. I had no idea what I was doing. You know, now that I'm coaching, I'm like, Oh my gosh. Wow. I, yeah, I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> history channel, uh, which is the case with so much in voiceover. Uh, always, all, you know, always aiming for big commercials. I'm always wanting to do, you know, another. Uh, it's always nice to get another national commercial. Those mm -hmm. are those are the, the, the big ones where you know, it, where people call you and go, "Oh my gosh, dude, was that you in there?" I hear commercials sometimes. I'm like, "That's Jay Michael." <laughs> uh, 
Oh, yeah, I'll tell my wife, that's J. Michael Collins. You're like, how do you know these people? I was like, Some people just have a distinctive voice. Um, I've got a gazillion agents, but I still don't have a good, solid, big L.A. agent. That's kind right. of a ridiculous thing. I'd like to have one of those. You know, not that having a big L.A. agent all of a sudden puts you on easy street, but it's, you know, I think out of personal pride, I would like to have one of those, uh, you know, that's that, that's sending you the, the big stuff. I get some big auditions from some agents and stuff. You know, the Disney auditions are there and, the, and the, the, the big name brand auditions are there. But I can't help but feel, you know, that when you get an audition from, let's say, your Pittsburgh agent and it's for a big national commercial that they've already exhausted everything in L.A. Right. <laughs> and, they, and they're like, yeah, we don't like any of you guys. Let's send it out to the to the regional agents. Right. I, I feel like that's what's happened. I don't know. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's it. The bucket list would be that big LA agent. And maybe I'd really like to do some promo work. Very cool. I'm sure it's coming for you, man. And, uh, I, I want you to leave our audience today with, uh, one more nugget of wisdom, whether it's the industry or life or whatever it may be. If, uh, if you could all, if you give them one, one thing to take away, what would it be? Uh, don't be proud. Don't be so proud. Uh, I meet young people, especially who are always coming into uh, into voiceover, and uh, they really look at certain genres of voiceover with disdain. Mm-hmm. Like, no, I'm not doing that. Uh, and I and I just want to say, then you're going to be working at Sonic or driving for Uber while you do voiceover on the side. Um, you know, be be open and open minded enough to embrace the entirety of this industry, or at least most of it. I, I say most of it. I hate audiobooks. I'm not doing them. But, uh, but I'll do just about anything else as, as long as my morals are, are intact. You know, I don't mind doing e-learning. I don't mind doing telephone systems. I don't mind doing you know, commercials. But you mean commercials? I'm not doing commercials. I'm in this for the animation. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, well, enjoy your job at you know, McDonald's or wherever, you, you know, wherever you're going to. Because that's, you know. You're kicking I'm the thing sure, off. I'm sure your customers will love that animated read with your with their McFlurry, right? Right, right. <laughs> you, you can do that cool accent over the uh, over the intercom when you say, you know, <laughs> "Welcome to Burger King." May I help you? Um, but you know, have the humility to to uh, to attack this industry from all sides, uh, and really, unless you've gone to L.A. or gone to New York, that may be the only way to get this thing off the ground from the beginning. I, with any sort of speed, I think. Certainly, if you if you plug away at this for 10, 15 years, you, you can make it. But most of us are getting in it and would like to be full time within the next few years. You know, right. you know, we'd like to, you know, but that that doesn't happen if you're only focused on one genre and you're remote and, you know, you're spending 40 hours a week on something besides voiceover. It's yeah. just too hard. There you go. Great advice from a great guy, great talent uh, and uh, somebody who uh, has served his country proudly. And I'm. Honored to have you on the show. Thanks so much for being here, Andy. I appreciate it. Thank you, J. Michael. I enjoyed it. It's always a, a pleasure to hang out with you, and uh, best of luck to you. Pleasure's all mine, and folks, uh, we know you got we, you know we got more great content coming up soon, uh, but for the moment, here's Kayla. You have been listening to This Week in VO with J. Michael Collins. Be sure to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues on social media. If you do, JMC might just send you a lobster. Now, here's nobody trying to sell you anything, because that's just how we roll. Stay tuned for a new podcast most weeks throughout the year. 